All right. As I always do, I will yet again remind you that we have child care, uh, children's church. Uh, we have that from nursery all the way up to second grade. If your child is in second grade, uh, we would invite them to head out. I think our crew has already kind of made their way that way. Um, but if they would like to stay, they can. And we want everybody else to be here and enjoy our, this time in the Word. Um, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 38 this morning. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Please be seated. I think it is good for a church and really kind of any organization to on occasion stop all the things that they are doing and to begin to reflect on the reason why they exist. In the case of a church, we need to just every so often kind of take a pause on all of the things that that fill up our calendar and all of the things that, that we do in order to remind ourselves of the reason that God called us into existence. Over the past month, I, I've been given the opportunity on, on several occasions to sit down with some people. We've had some roles kind of change in our church and new people are, are taking on new roles or, or even some people kind of want to, to kind of relaunch some things. And we, we've had some conversations recently about what the church is setting out to do. And that has actually bring, brought back to my mind uh, something that, that we did uh, many, many years ago. And, and probably, in all honesty, uh, a good chunk of you were not attending this church at the time that we did it. But we, we actually, many, many years ago, presented and voted and approved what we called a process of discipleship for Tunnel Hill Baptist Church. And we asked ourselves the question, what does the church exist to do and how do we do it? And so we, we looked at that and we, we looked at what the Bible says about the church, about those who are followers of Jesus, those who would be considered disciples of Jesus, and what did Jesus tell us to do? And we, we got that down to just a couple of verses that we felt were like the absolute foundational things that, that Jesus told the church to do. The first one, quite clearly and hopefully obviously for us, is the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Along with this, we looked at the greatest commandment, and we felt like to, to be obedient to this great, the greatest commandment, according to Jesus, would be crucial to who we are and our identity as a church. It says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. 
Along with this, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so at the heart of everything that we do as a church, we have a desire to fulfill the greatest commandments, to love God with all of our being, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And with that, to go and to make disciples of all nations. And so we took everything we do and all that we are as a church and we said, how do we do that? And and whether it's Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or Wednesdays or when we gather outside of this building or when we plan special events or when we go on mission trips, literally everything we do, how do we make it a part of that? And that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to kind of reintroduce you to this process, to this, this, these important things, these foundational things to our church over the next few weeks. That's why you'll see up on the screen the word refocus. We're going to take some time to refocus who we are as Tunnel Hill Baptist Church to make sure that we are doing what God has called us to do and not allowing ourselves to get distracted by all of the other things that might fill our calendar. This leads us to a very important question, which is, where does discipleship begin? And I think we're often tempted because we have this word discipleship and we have programs that we call discipleship programs that we think that discipleship starts some point later in your walk with Jesus. That discipleship is something that, 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 you know, we have evangelism. And evangelism is we go and we tell people about Jesus. And then, and then after, you know, they come to know Christ and they join the church and they get a part of it, a Sunday school group, then we do discipleship. That's not right. In fact, discipleship is what we are called to do through the, the entire spectrum of the relationship. That discipleship is everything we do to see a person go from lost to a reproducing disciple of Jesus. Which means discipleship begins the moment you bring Jesus into the conversation with anybody. Whether they are lost or that they are looking for a church, whatever it might be, discipleship begins when Jesus becomes a part of the conversation. And I believe our passage today is a great reminder of that reality. I want to take some time today and I want to break down this passage and, and, and think about how Jesus is beginning discipleship, beginning the discipleship process with all of the people that he is seeing and he is enlisting his disciples into this very thing we call discipleship. As we break down this passage, my hope and prayer is that you will begin to see what Jesus sees, that you will feel what Jesus feels, and then you will do what Jesus commands. So let's dive into that. Let's look at at, at seeing what Jesus sees. As we go into verse 35, it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and all of the villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every kind of disease and, and every kind of sickness, and that seeing the people, verse 36... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and displaced like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus, as he is going around and he is teaching, and he's, he's kind of fulfilling a role that would have still been something relatively familiar to all the people at this time. He was represented as some sort of kind of itinerant 
itinerant preacher. I'll get the word out. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm going to break something here. Hang on a second. Um, And and people are used to that. They're kind of familiar with this kind of dynamic. This is not the first time that that people living during this time would would have seen someone that was going around village to village and, and had some teaching to teach. That wasn't uncommon. And so he's doing that, and he's going into the synagogues, and he's teaching, and he's doing his thing. And, and as he's doing it, it is Jesus who begins to notice a pattern. He notices that despite the fact that he's in all of these different villages, and there's all of these different people with all of these different walks of life, that everybody seemed to have the same issue. Let's be honest for a second, just real quick. We like to focus more on our differences than what we have in common, don't we? You look at social media, you look at the news, you look at all of these different things, and they are wanting us to constantly be focused on what makes us different. Whether it's skin color, socioeconomic class, um, uh, voting history, where you live in the country, whether you're in a big city or out in the country, all of these things, there are all of these types of things that, that the world wants us to divide up. But as Jesus is going, and there's probably fishing towns and farming towns, there were places where people were very, were very uh, uh, industrious and they were very fruitful and, and, and really doing well. And there are places that were probably struggling. There were probably towns that they were lucky to even have something that even remotely looked like a synagogue. And there's all of these different types of people. And yet when Jesus was looking at the people, when Jesus was ministering the people, showing them the, the, the good news, proclaiming the good news, he noticed that no matter where he want, went, he saw the same thing. And the same thing, this is what I want you to think about, the same thing, the consistent theme that rose to the top as he went from village to village to village was this, people were hurting. Well, fast forward 2,000 years. And as we look at the world today, we look at this group, this congregation right now, we have young people, we have older people, We have people still in school, people close to being done with school, people that forgot what school was even like. Some of you, your school doesn't exist anymore. We have people that that don't even need to look at the price of groceries. When they go shopping, they just go buy what they want. Some of you will will pick up one piece of meat, chicken, and then set it back and pick up the other piece of chicken because it's a nickel cheaper. We have people that dress in their finest clothing and then people, other people that dress on whatever was clean this morning. We have people that are college educated, people that are high school educated. We have all kinds of people in this room. We have all kinds of people in the world around us. And I think all of us could agree that in different ways, but in the same way, we're hurting. And we as a nation are hurting. And people are struggling all around us in all sorts of different ways. The New American Standard uh, uses these two adjectives to describe the people as he went from city to city and village to village. He says they were distressed and dispirited. And I, I got into the, the original language just a little bit on them, and I was, I was kind of interested in what those words mean. The word distressed in the original language meant to, it was related to the word to be skinned. And that is a very graphic word to use that as we went around from people to people, these people had been skinned. I had this vision in my head that these people had been through so much 
And there's so much struggle and there's so much hurt that they were just raw. You ever get to that point where you have just endured so much that your emotions are just raw? I have. And that was the description that he had here of just that, that these people were skinned along with that dispirited is the same word that means to be cast aside or thrown out. And so as Jesus is going from people to people, he, is, he sees people who have been so mistreated and, so, and have gone through so much hardship in life that they are raw in their emotions and in their, their ability to handle things, and they feel cast aside, dejected, unwanted, like refuse. I imagine, based on where Jesus was, they felt that God had rejected them. Certainly, Rome had rejected them. And maybe most painfully, that even the, the temple and the Pharisees and the priests and the, and the religious leaders of their time had rejected them. See, these people were a hopeless people. And they were coming to Jesus and they were going to hear this message that Jesus had for them because they wanted just a glimmer of hope. Now let's think today. As we look at the world today, we see bitterness, hatred, bigotry, anxiety, depression. In our world today, we see things like gender confusion, suicide and drug use rates are, 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 are skyrocketing. If we had to look at our society today, I think we could realize that the way people felt in Jesus' day is not that far from how they felt back then. There are people all around us who are hurting and they are looking for just a glimmer of hope in their everyday life. And while certainly they turn to other things like drug use and entertainment, Twitter and, 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 and TikTok, they try to get rich because they think money will solve all of their problems or the next relationship or the next relationship or the next relationship. Behind all of that and those things that sometimes will be the very thing that leads us to judge them and to look down on them and to treat them poorly. That really, in reality, behind all of that is people looking for hope. And looking for something good in a world that seems to have gone so bad. This is not a new human trade. In fact, even the prophet Zechariah speaks of it. In Zechariah 10.2, he says this. He says, For the idols speak falsehood, and the diviners see illusions. They relate empty dreams and offer empty comfort. Therefore, the people wander like sheep, and they suffer affliction because there is no shepherd. See, we need to see the world the way Jesus sees it. And it's really tempting for us. And I think there's a couple ways we can kind of look at the world. I think one of the worst ways the church, the body of believers can look at the world is that it is someone that is against us and beneath us. And so we look at the world with this sense of hostility, something that we need to keep the world out. And we need to keep us in because they are bad and we are good and we have to, to sequester ourselves and, and remove them from us entirely, that, that we are in enmity with the people of the world, not the world in general, but with these people and have nothing to do with them. 
I think another way is, well, and I think one of the, the dangerous ways, another way is that we will look at it as something that we want, that we kind of hope that those same, as Zechariah said it, those same um, false idols, diviners, and, and empty dreams, and, and, and empty comfort, that those might be in some way better than what we have. And so we hope to maybe keep one foot in the church, but then one foot in this world of falsehood. But Jesus is calling us to see the world the way he sees it. And that this is a, that when we look out at the world, that we see people who are hurting. And they are hurting because they have been sold a bag of lies, of empty promises and falsehoods. And they are hoping to find comfort in these things, but there is no comfort to be found. And because of it, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And they keep chasing after the next shiny thing, hoping that it's water, hoping that it's good, hoping that it's safe, and it's not. And they find themselves going deeper and deeper and deeper into peril. See, if we can see the way Jesus sees, then maybe, just maybe, We can respond the way Jesus responds, that we can feel what Jesus feels. Going back to verse 36. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. I cannot help but think about how often I feel when I encounter people who who are not believers, who maybe know nothing about Jesus, that maybe have nothing to do with Jesus, may even be just a little bit hostile towards, towards Christians or the church in general because they don't understand it, they don't know it, they don't think that way or anything like that. And, and, and my own feelings can sometimes become one of, of condescending. How sometimes when I see people that act differently than me, that, that, that you know, they're using, you know, one of the big things for me is they're using foul language and, and like maybe even using foul language in front of their kids. And, and who, knows what other, who knows what other things that, that when I see those people, what I tend to, to be is to start to look down on them. Or even, or even try to kind of, kind of become the protector of my family. I kind of swell up a little bit. I know that's a stretch to think that I would do something like that. Or even to, to a point as I try to, to get away from them, to get my people away from them and go, go to a safer place. Ooh, it's rough here. This is a rough neighborhood. This seems to be a, a rough restaurant. Let's go someplace safer. What's really happening in my own head and in my own heart is I'm judging those people. And what's most scary about it is what I'm, I'm judging on whether they are worthy of the gospel or not. And because they're a little bit rougher around the edges, because they don't talk how I talk or dress how I dress, I think, ah, I don't need to bother with them. But that's not how Jesus responded. When Jesus saw the people, that they were distressed and dispirited, that they were raw in their emotions and they were dejected and cast aside, he did not ask the question, well, what did they do to get themselves to this world? How is it their fault or anything like that? He was not angry with them. He did not cast them aside. But he showed them compassion. I love compassion, that word compassion in the New Testament, because in the, the root of that word is, the, is kind of like the same word uh, for guts. 
It's even a fun word. It's like spelagmus or something like that. Like it even sounds like something that's like guts. Blah. I couldn't be a nurse. That stuff's gross. And it says, and what the word means is it kind of the, the, at the base of the word is this idea of like their inward things, their guts. And, it's, and, and the idea of the word is means you are moved in there. You ever, you ever had something that kind of made your heart hurt a little bit? That kind of maybe turned your stomach a little bit? You ever had something that had such a kind of emotional reaction to you that, that it almost, you could just feel it all up in your torso? That's that word. And it says that he had compassion on them, that when he looked at these people that were hurting, it moved him in the inside. It was emotion to the sense of he felt it, it hurt, it created a a movement inside of him, deep-seated all the way to his heart. This is the compassion that Jesus felt for the people. But we have to understand that there is more to compassion than just the emotion. There's more to compassion than just the pity. Because the compassion that we see in Jesus and the compassion that that we are supposed to have as as we go through life is we are supposed to have a compassion that moves us to action. God is not interested in us saying, oh, that sure does make me feel bad. Well, see you later. Our compassion is not supposed to be something that we can say, oh, that's sad. Click but is a compassion that moves us to action. And Jesus communicates this very well in the parable that, that many of us have heard since we were children, and that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. See, in the parable of the Good Samaritan found in, in Luke chapter 10, there's even that question, what is the greatest commandment? We've talked about that already. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And this scribe, this, this kind of young guy who knew some stuff, kind of said, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Who's the neighbor that I'm supposed to be loving? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. If you're not familiar with the story, I'll give it to you right now. There's a guy. The guy's leaving Jerusalem and he's going to Jericho. And as he is going from Jerusalem to Jericho, robbers get a hold of him and they, they steal his stuff and they beat him up and they strip him down and he is left on the side of the road. He is beaten, he is broken, he is hurting. Sound familiar to what we've been talking about? And it says a priest walks by. And the priest sees the man, and it says that he walks on on the other side of the road. A little bit later, a Levite, not a priest, but a Levite, walks on that same road, and he sees the man, and he walks on by on the other side of the road. Finally, a Samaritan comes by. And if you know anything about Samaritans, the the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated each other wanted nothing to do with each other. And it says that the Samaritan walked by and it saw the man who was beaten and, and left on the side of the road. And it says that he went to him. And, he, and he, he, he picked him up and he took care of him and he poured oil on his wounds. He did all the things he could do and then even put him and set him on top of his own donkey so the man wouldn't have to try to walk. And he, he carried him on his own donkey to, on to Jericho. And when he got there, he took him to an inn and he paid for the man to, to stay and get better and even paid the innkeeper a little extra money and saying, take care of him. 
And if this does not cover all of the care that he needs, I am coming back and I will take care of the rest. And then he looks at this, this scribe. He looks at this kind of expert in the law. And I'm going to pick up in verse 36. He asks this question. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And that scribe, that other person said, the one who showed, him, showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So what does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean to show compassion? It means to see people who are hurting and to go to them. And yes, that does most certainly mean the physical hurting, the physical things, the the financial hurting, the hardships and the stuff like that. Yes, we are here to help alleviate poverty and to to help people um, uh, get better and to be there for them when they're lonely and they're hurting. Yes, we're supposed to be there for that. But the greater need has never been the physical stuff. The greater need has always been the spiritual. There are people in this life who are hurting. They are like sheep without a shepherd and they desperately need Jesus. And I want to tell you something. They don't need Jesus for heaven. They do. Let me rephrase that. They need Jesus right now. I want you to think about that for just a second. There are people who need Jesus, not just so that they can go to heaven, not just so that they're, they're saved and get to go, go to the happy place. They need Jesus right now. Because they don't know who they are or what they're doing or why they're doing it. And they are desperate and lost like sheep without a shepherd. And if they are going to find their meaning, if they are going to find their purpose, if they're going to find their family and their community, if they're going to experience real, true, unconditional love, it's going to be through Jesus. We need to see what Jesus sees. We need to feel what Jesus feels. And finally, we need to do what Jesus commands. Jesus saw these things. His heart was moved. And, and yeah, but what's interesting, and I want you to think about this for a second. In a sense, Jesus, God in the flesh, could have snapped his fingers and fixed it right then. But that's not what he did. He turned to his disciples. And he looked at his disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This, is, this falls into that see what he sees. He looks at his disciples and says, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Look at these people. They are hurt. They are dejected. They are cast aside. They are like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful. These people, you have what these people need. And then he says, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Now, beseech is not a word we use a lot. I imagine most of us in the room have not said beseech in the last seven days unless you were studying this passage, which is good for you. So let me define it for you. According to the dictionary, beseech means to ask someone urgently and fervently to do something. It means to implore or to entreat them. To beseech means, as the title of our message says, to beg with urgency and passion. Now let's think for a moment about when we beseech. When do we really beg people for things? When do we really beg someone with urgency and with with passion? 
When do we look at, at, at someone or look at something and go, please, 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 please? I was a child once. Some of you may argue I still am a child. Don't look at Liz right now. I don't want her opinion at this moment. I was blessed to be a child in the 80s. And I still to this day feel like 80s toys were the best toys ever. I was pre-video game. And I get to walk down that boy aisle at Walmart where all the toys were as a small child. And I would look and there'd be He-Man to my right, Superman and Batman to my left just a little more down the way and there was Hulk Hogan and Jake the Snake and Sting and Lex Luger and it was a great day to be alive. And I threw many a fit in that aisle at Walmart. I'm sad to say that Walmart doesn't even exist anymore. I I go there now. It's a five guys. And I probably still beg, don't I, Liz? I go, can I please get bacon on my cheeseburger? I loved it. It was an amazing place to be, and I cannot tell you how many times I begged for a toy to the point that I got drug out by my arm. We beg for other things today. Toys, pets, treats. We're in a, think about being an adult. Think about the times you begged. Usually it's not to a person anymore, is it? Usually we're praying to God and we're saying, God, please, please, please. If you're my daughter in the back, please don't let there be a quiz today. Please, God, please. Please let my teacher be sick today. I need a substitute today, Lord, please. God, please let UK make this field go. I'm begging you. It's just two free throws, Lord. I will be at church tomorrow, but please let let these free throws get made. Sometimes it's more serious. We get the phone call that our mother or father or child or daughter or best friend has been into a car accident. Or they have some illness that has them in the ICU and we find ourselves going, please, 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 God. Let them be okay. Please, 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 God, let me get this job. Please, 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 God, let there be enough money to pay all the bills. We, pray, we beg more than we think, don't we? But when do we beg for the lost? When do we go to the Lord and say, please, 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 God, would you rise up somebody? Do we look at people and say, man, those people, if there's one thing those people need is they need Jesus. Please, 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 God. Would you rise up someone to go to those people? Someone that'll go and tell them about Jesus. God, there are people dying every day who have not heard the good news of the gospel. I want you to think about this for a second. We talk about this a lot in, in when we talk about international missions. And we, we love international missions here. We go to Brazil. I'd love to go more places. That stuff's important to me. I want you to think about this for a second. I believe beyond any shadow of the doubt that as we live here in Kentucky, in Elizabethtown, in Hardin County, there are people here who will be born, they will grow up, they will get a job, they will get sick, they will die, and no one will ever share the good news of the gospel with them. 
here. They will drive past a church like this and they will ask themselves, I wonder what they do there. They will think the extent of who we are is the way that we are portrayed by politicians. Who wants that? They will have no idea what the good news of the gospel is. And that's here. Let alone in other places. In cities like Indianapolis or New York and other countries like Brazil or Bangladesh. When do we pray with urgency and with passion that God will raise up people That God will raise up people who will go and take the gospel to those in and around us and beyond. Maybe what we forget most of all is that discipleship really, truly begins with prayer. And that as we are praying for so-and-so surgery or or, or whatever it might be, that we need to be praying for the lost. And we need to be praying specifically that God would raise up those who would go to the lost. That we should pray for them specifically and generally. We need to pray for specific people in specific places. Pray for them by name or by people group or by neighborhood. But also pray generally that the lost would be open to the gospel. Pray with urgency because Christ is coming back. And there's only so much time before we go to be with Him. To pray with passion. Because our hearts are moved by what we see and by the lostness all around us. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 4. He said, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. when we talk about why we exist and and the reasons that that, that we have come into being, the reason that God called into creation this church a hundred years ago. When we think about the, the, the commission we've been given to make disciples, it has to start with prayer. To see the world the way Christ sees it. To feel compassion towards the world the same way Christ does, and then to begin to pray diligently that God would raise up those who would be workers in the harvest. One last thing to consider today. That in your praying, that you would be open to the fact that God is calling you to be a worker who goes out. You are not where you are on accident. You're not in your school on accident. You're not in your factory on accident. You're not in your bunco group on accident. When you go to the radio station, that is not an accident. When you go to Clarity, that is not an accident. God has placed us in fields. Those fields represent our jobs, 
our homes, our families, our clubs and organizations, our schools, our kids' sports teams, the restaurants we frequent, the gas stations we always go to. And he is calling us to go work in those fields. To go and make the good news of the gospel known. You know, back in these days, you probably didn't harvest a whole field in one day. Sometimes it took time. Sometimes that field needed to be plowed and the stones thrown out and seeded and and, and watered and all sorts of other things before the harvest came. And you may be a part of that entire process. But be open to it. Be open to the idea that God has put you exactly where you are today to harvest. The harvest is plentiful. So we ain't got to worry about if God will bring people to Christ. We know he's going to do that because the harvest is plentiful. The problem is the workers. So we need to pray. We need to be open. Because God very well may be rising you up to be a worker. Let us pray. My God and King, Lord, as we gather this morning, we are reminded of first and foremost the centrality of prayer as we come to make disciples. But God, in the midst of all of that, we see what Jesus saw. And Lord, I pray that we as a church and as a congregation that we will feel what Jesus feels. And God, I pray that that will move us to powerful, meaningful, uh, passionate prayer, urgent prayer. And with that urgency and with that passion, Lord, that it would also move move us to action. God, I know that there are people in this room that, that maybe they are here and they have always wondered what the church is all about. And God, I know that, uh, that, that they may think we're about following a certain set of rules or, or, or just kind of having a good community uh, benevolence and outreach. But God, I pray that they would begin to, to now just start to get a piece of the understanding that we are about the gospel that we are about uh, this Jesus who came, who died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave three days later, and that we, we exist because we have placed our hope and trust in him for salvation and for meaning and purpose in this life. God, with that, for those of us that, that are, are yours, or those of us that, that are followers of Jesus, Lord, I begin that we would, I just pray that we would pray with passion or that we would beseech you to raise up workers god that we would be open to be that very worker in our world and in our community or maybe beyond and god that you would help us as a church to refocus and make sure that we are being all about your work Lord, we praise you that you have given us this purpose and god i pray that you would help us to see and to feel, and to go. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.